Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 155. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Morgan Jaffe. Hey, Kip, how's it going? It's going well, and it's great to have you here to talk about the impact and influence that emoji have had on our language, on the way we communicate, on our general culture of expression. And before we go any further, for those who do not know, emoji are essentially pictograms that can be used via text to communicate various ideas, symbols, often emotions are brought into play. And Morgan, I'm really excited to discuss this with you today because a few months ago we had a very interesting conversation about interpretations of emoji and the contexts in which we use them. But as a starting point, I really want to talk about this phenomenon that I observed in all of the readings we did, which as always we will post on the website for those who are interested in following along. And this trend is that a lot of people consider emojis at first glance to be ridiculous and silly and somewhat unnecessary. And I have my own thoughts on this, of course, but I'd really love to know what your interpretation of that underlying tone was. I think I have a lot of feelings when it comes to emoji. I used to think they were very silly and that I would never want to use them. And personally, I'm someone who first and foremost prefers to have conversations in person. My second choice is definitely to use FaceTime or Skype or something like that because you still have that sort of human interaction type of feeling and you can see people's facial expressions and People can't see me right now, but I as well have a lot of facial expressions and I use my hands a lot. And I think sometimes that gets lost within text, whether that's texting or email or all the other different options of how you can write someone and use text. So at first I refused to really use emoji and now I use it a lot more. I don't think it always conveys the message you're trying to send, but there's something fun and a little silly about it and it makes things feel a lot more casual. So I enjoy using emoji, but I completely understand if other people were to think it might not be for them. Would you mind speaking a bit further about that turning point or when you felt more comfortable, perhaps even encouraged to use emoji in your communications with people? That's a really interesting question. I don't know if I can pinpoint it. I don't really know when it happened. And it's probably also important to note the fact that when it comes to technology, I love technology. I use it a lot. I'm really bad when it comes to change. For example, I haven't updated my phone in the longest time. Here we are talking about emoji, and I know that I can't even see all the emoji that exists because I am bad about change and I'm bad about updating my phone. And with the mention of change, I would argue that's one of the primary reasons that a lot of people find emoji to be silly or ridiculous in the same way that people, much to my chagrin, think video games are rather trivial or not an art form in conversations where some would argue that video games are in fact a form of art. And I think that gets to the societal reaction to what many of us perceive to be trends or any new phenomena really. Because for you, change isn't necessarily comfortable, and I think that's true for most people, even though change is an ever-present part of our lives. And there are many cartoonish features to emoji, which I think is why people might associate them with less substantial or intellectual means of communication, and we'll come back to these cartoonish aspects. But I also think, unlike written and spoken language, which have been around for thousands of years, 
the recency of emoji is one of the reasons that some people might bristle against them. But interestingly, there are documented examples of elder generations adopting emoji to communicate, and I think that is in many ways because, as pictograms, they indicate very clear ideas. When you see a picture of sunglasses, you know what that image represents. And even anecdotally, I know others who are older than you and me who use emoji from time to time. And regardless of how you feel about them, whether they are ridiculous or a legitimate means of communication, their widespread popularity can't be denied. There are so many things you just talked about that I found myself nodding a lot, whether in agreement or in interest, but definitely a lot of nodding. Oh, there's so many things I want to say. In terms of recency, emoji is a very new thing. Everything kind of digital is a new process, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's another literacy. We have all these different types of literacies. And when people think about literacy or being literate, it's about reading and writing. And it's always been pen and paper. But seeing as how we're such a visual culture, this is just another way that it's shifting. In another life, I went to grad school because I really thought I wanted to teach high school English. I ended up missing radio too much, so that didn't happen. But I ended up shifting my studies when there was something like a semester left. And I ended up focusing a lot on literacy and digital literacy and all these meanings and messages and what that all meant. I also tied it to radio a little bit because I'm a radio nerd and I'm a radio kid and I love that. But in terms of the literacy part, there's a lot of work by Cress and Lancashire and Noble and Park. And they all talk about how literacy is this ever-changing concept and it's really based on culture. So right now, our culture, we're a very visual culture. If you look back starting in the 50s, that's when television became something that was much more commonplace. And it became the norm, whatever that means, to have a television in your home. And then in the 60s, because of the screen again, we could see what was going on abroad and in Vietnam and during the Vietnam War. And it brought war into all these living rooms across the United States. Or you could see what was going on during the civil rights movement on TV. All these different things happened and people started to question, well, television is dumbing down our culture because that's all everyone's doing now is they're with these screens. And a lot of the same way people are saying that now because we have so much access to media around every corner, whether that's magazines or newspapers, but that's the more traditional media, right? And then you have the television or the computer or the tablet or your phone because you're constantly connected through your phone. And going back to emoji and if this is something new or silly, People are making it now so that emoji can't be considered a legitimate literacy, but at the end of the day, you're just decoding messages. So we have these messages, and we'll decode it based on our own life and our own experiences. Well, I'm glad that you allude to those who want to prevent the legitimacy of emoji, and I'd like to bring up that in 1974, the American Institute of Graphic Arts, working with the Department of Transportation, designed a new system of symbols to be used in airports around the world. And they ultimately concluded that symbols could only augment language, not replace it. And so it's important that you bring up media, tools, and technology like the television, which have come with their own concerns as humanity has adopted them. And to touch on change, as you'd mentioned earlier, I think people are not only resistant to change, but with widespread change of tools and ideas that are adopted en masse, I think society, and especially mainstream culture and intellectual realms of society, often functions as a cultural immune system of sorts, trying to evaluate these new tools and ideas and responding in kind, seeing how they're going to function and whether or not we should adopt them. 
And we've seen with certain trends in fashion or other technological ideas that didn't pan out that some things don't take hold and latch on. But also, for those ideas that do, people feel challenged by them. And I'm sure many linguists may be excited about the adoption of emoji, but I imagine that many too are worried about their case studies that may no longer be relevant, or that their fields that they teach or research in may no longer be as interesting to younger generations that adopt emoji more readily. And before we go any further, I would like to read a quotation from one of the New York Times articles we read on the history of emoji. It says, and quote, The roots of smiley faces and emoticons go back to the 1880s, but the story of the emoji, those little pictorial icons on your cell phone, began in Japan in the mid-1990s when it was added as a special feature to a brand of pagers popular with teenagers. It wasn't until 2008 that a uniform emoji alphabet was created, and Apple adopted it in 2011, adding it to its iOS 5 operating system, end quote. And it's also worth noting that the very same company who created emoji did so to create a unique brand identity for themselves, which I find fascinating because other forms of language have been created in the past as a means of preserving history and allowing us to pass down stories and legends to younger generations. And I think it's so interesting that in the modern era, new linguistic forms emerge in some senses because of market necessity rather than necessity of survival or of culture. And I know I've said a lot, but as always, I would welcome any of your thoughts there. When it comes down to it, I think it's all about culture. Because in the 1880s, you have emoticons. And in the 1970s, you have airports putting imagery everywhere to try to direct people or help people, even if they did or did not speak a certain language. And in the 1990s in Japan, you have emoji ending up on pagers as a marketing strategy. And in the 2000s, you have them ending up on iPhones. All these different cultures, whether it's the 1880s in America or the 1970s in America or the 1990s in Japan, it comes down to our culture and how we interpret it. We've had this conversation before, and I have this conversation a lot with a lot of different people and a lot of different friends with punctuation, because you have an exclamation mark or a period or the dreaded ellipses or nothing. And depending on who you are, you're going to interpret a sentence very differently. I used to be a research assistant at the Media Education Lab at the University of Rhode Island. And there was another research assistant there named Katie Donnelly, who I love. And we used to have this conversation all the time about punctuation. And we were both there working for Professor Renee Hobbs, who does a lot with media literacy and media education. And one time she sent me an email with an ellipses at the end saying, can we talk? And then there was an ellipses. And I freaked out. I thought I was going to be fired. I thought I had done something awful. And Katie and I would have these conversations all the time where that's just what Renee would do. She would use ellipses. And that was just her equivalent of a period. And we would have these conversations all the time about exclamation marks versus periods versus ellipses versus nothing. And in the same way with emoji, you can interpret emoji very differently at the end of the sentence. In one of the articles, it said, in a lot of ways, an emoji can actually replace a period. It's there to try to relieve stress almost or break that silence. But in reality, what you send me in a text might be completely different than what I think you're saying because you don't have those other social cues when you're having that conversation. One of my favorite emoji to show people and ask, what do you think of this, is a grinning emoji face. It's, oh gosh, see, this is the problem. This is an image, right? We're talking very visual culture. I can't just show it to the audience right now. I have to explain it. Some people think it's someone very happy and excited and smiling and showing all their teeth. 
when I see that, I see that as an awkward showing my teeth of, uh, this happened, right? So even something like that, you can interpret an emoji to mean different things. So when you say that quote, symbols can only augment language, not replace it, I definitely don't think it can be replaced entirely, but I don't even know if it augments it. All of it's just one big interpretation, and that's going to change from person to person. I completely agree that it changes person to person, and I've often noticed how rarely I use emoji, because in most cases where I text friends or people I know, I presume and maybe hope that they understand the underlying tone I'm trying to communicate in my message, that if I'm being blunt, I'm not trying to be curt or rude, just concise in my communication. And one of the articles mentioned that many people feel more comfortable sending the letter K followed by a friendly ghost was the example, rather than simply the letter K because it comes across as rude or insincere in some ways. Yeah, in a lot of the same way, if someone sends me a text and it just says OK and there's no punctuation or OK with a period or OK with an exclamation mark, I'm an overthinker, but I'm going to start analyzing and saying, well, what does that mean? Are you excited? Are you bored? Is it just, you know, OK, cool. I'll see you when I see you. I'll see you soon. But there's so many different ways to interpret things. And interpretation, while it is, of course, central to this conversation, is key in another example that was given in the articles we read, where one woman recounts having a 45-minute conversation with a friend using only emoji, which might fly in the face of the quotation from earlier that symbols can only augment language and not replace it. And when I read that she had done this, I was confused and pictured myself in a similar scenario with a considerable amount of anxiety because emoji, when used in small quantities, in my interpretation, are easier to interpret because there are fewer pictures and therefore fewer variables to try and decipher. But much like a complex equation in algebra, as you add more variables, in this case stringing multiple emoji together, I think the difficulty of interpretation increases almost exponentially. And so when I hear about a conversation that lasted that long, I imagine two individuals gradually diverging because they might be responding to different interpretations of one another's emoji use. And I think it would be really fascinating to study people who only communicate in emoji and then ask them how they would transcribe the other person's emoji messages into a more traditional written language. And with that and previous examples, we've been talking about more colloquial use of emoji between people or maybe among a few friends, but there have also been societal implications. For example, an emoji-only version of Moby Dick, entitled Emoji Dick, was recently accepted into the Library of Congress. Also, legal experts have actually debated whether an emoji death threat that they would describe as the gun emoji with a face emoji could be admissible in court, which I think is very interesting and related to the gun emoji specifically. In 2016, Apple elected to change the gun emoji, which looks like a revolver, to a water gun. And as someone who thinks a lot about free speech, that decision doesn't sit well with me and I would welcome your response, Morgan, as I would the audience. But to explain my stance a bit, Apple made the decision because of growing concerns about gun violence in the United States, and I would argue that it's certainly an issue worth discussing. But in removing a very literal symbol of the gun, I don't think you reduce gun violence in any tangible way, and I also think it's a form, however modern, 
of censorship because people use emoji clearly to communicate ideas, and we might picture that often as more trivial or silly ideas that may not be substantial, although I personally attach emoji like the heart to very sentimental texts that I want to come across in a serious way. But outside of more personal messages, I don't think the removal of that symbol from our lexicon changes the discussion in a healthy way. One of the articles we read noted that in certain segments of New York, the gun plus face emoji is used to describe tremendous stress, and outsiders might interpret that as a suicidal symbol, but I think many New Yorkers or others who use that combination of symbols would argue we aren't trying to trivialize suicide or depression or other severe emotional distress. That's simply how we communicate what we're feeling, and it is a form of aggravation, but it's also a type of language. Before continuing the conversation about the gun emoji, the first thought that I need to get out of my head is I would hate to have a 45-minute conversation through emoji. Personally to me, that sounds awful. Not that it isn't interesting and you can't have a conversation through emoji, but personally, I don't think I could do it because I would be overanalyzing every single part. One of the articles we read talked about how Drake has a tattoo. Some might say a tattoo of hands pressed together, and there are two interpretations of that, either as hands that are praying or hands that are high-fiving. Personally, I always thought it was hands praying. And then if you've ever had Siri redo your text out loud, if you haven't done this, I highly recommend it because first of all, it is incredibly entertaining. But second of all, that's what Apple thinks these emoji are and how they should be described. I'm pretty sure that if Siri was to read the emoji to you and it was these hands pressed together, she describes it as high-fiving. And that's how I found out it wasn't hands praying. And the only time I had ever really seen the emoji hand used is if, for example, a celebrity had passed away. So for example, when David Bowie passed away, people were using this to say, rest in peace. But then I found out later it could have potentially been a high five, as if to say, David Bowie has died, and then there's a high five. So there's that whole interpretation, because in my head, of course, those were hands praying, but someone else could have seen that as a high five, and then thought I was meaning something very different than what I was meaning, if I had, in fact, used a hands praying emoji. And then also with emoji dick, people talk about lowbrow and highbrow culture all the time. Who's to say Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet is the only way to discuss something? Does that make West Side Story and that interpretation of it any different or any less valid to teach in a classroom or to talk about in quote-unquote high society, whatever that means? But going back to the emoji gun symbol, so you were talking about how it seems like censorship. And in some ways, I really agree with you. My main question is why not include both images? Why can't people make a choice of what they're going to do and what they're going to interpret that as? In the same way that you have multiple words to describe a sandwich, for example. A sandwich could be a sandwich or it could be a sub or a hero. Why can't you have multiple images of a gun, whether it's a pistol and a water gun? There are cases where you might want to use one or the other and they have two completely different meanings. Part of me understands why Apple did this because, yes, maybe they wanted to talk about gun violence. But there are different and better ways to actually talk about gun violence because it wasn't a conversation. It was just a change that they made. And certainly, as they have some degree of ownership and control over emoji, a change they are more than allowed to make. And with that, I think it's also interesting to talk about language as a possession 
or a tool over which a group or an entity has control, because the English language, for example, has and I think will continue to evolve. And I hope that no one person or culture thinks they own the English language, because like other languages, I think it is adaptable and subject to change, whether that is cultural or personal. And there was also a creative example I really loved in one of the articles where a woman notes that she created a sequence for vasectomy by combining scissors, eggplant, and a screaming face. And I've often felt that creativity actually shines when limitations are imposed because people are able to experiment with the limited resources at their disposal. So I'm really fascinated by emoji as a type of language that is owned and dictated by companies as far as the characters that they add, and more recently, different skin tones were added and various other symbols that I think are great, but until certain symbols are added, users of the language of emoji, if I'm allowed to call it that, are not allowed to alter individual characters, but can try to construct messages based on combinations of symbols. And I also think it's interesting to think of emoji as individual symbols because to look at written language, I can't think of anyone who has a favorite letter. I know that some people have favorite words, but those are not the most basic building blocks of written or spoken language. Whereas with emoji, I know that many people do have favorites, whether they're particularly charming, have sentimental or personal value, or maybe they think those emoji really concisely and effectively capture a nuanced emotion or feeling. And I'd really love listeners to think about emoji as creating a multifaceted way of communicating. There are people who don't like texting alone because it lacks body language or other nonverbal cues that we give when communicating with people. And in the same way that a movie might be strange without audio or lacking certain components, I think it's worth adopting and accepting emoji as a means of adding flavor and nuance, perhaps even clarity, to the often textual messages that we send to other people. And as one last point tied to Siri and Apple's interpretation of what emoji officially stand for, there is, as we will link to, an Emojipedia online that contains text descriptions of individual emoji, which I think is really great. I think you bring up a really interesting point when you say creativity shines when limitations exist. And on one hand, I agree with you. But going back to how you were talking about language evolving, and so why can't emojis evolve as well? I think it's really important that they do evolve. A couple of the articles were talking about how emoji can actually take up a lot more memory, but I think it can be really important to give up that memory and give up that space for representation. You were talking about how with emoji, different skin tones now exist, or how some emoji now show families that include single parents or queer couples. And I think that's really important to have something there that represents you, that validates your own experience. I think it's great that if you hold down on your keypad, different skin tones can pop up. Like I remember it being an issue for a while that there were images of men doing certain things in the workplace or as athletes, but there were no representations of women doing those same activities. So on one hand, I agree with you that there can be a lot of creativity that happens when limitations exist. For example, what the eggplant now stands for. But I think it's really great that people can also go and look and see a pictorial image of themselves and be able to represent themselves. And I'm not saying that emoji are perfect, and I'm definitely not saying that we don't need any more representations. We certainly do. 
One of the articles was talking about how there aren't any emoji with an afro or there aren't any emoji with red hair. And again, as someone who hates change, I haven't updated my phone and my software in a very long time, but I can't think of any emoji that shows people who have disabilities. Maybe I am wrong and that does exist because like I said, I have not updated my phone, but there are so many other types of people and representations that still could exist. One of the articles was talking about how when emoji first started, they wanted everything to be neutral. But what does that mean? When I read that sentence of wanting everything to be neutral, then why were all the emoji, in my opinion, white? Why did that become the neutral or why did that become the norm? Going back to what I was saying about TV, in the 1950s when TV first existed, you had all these families, these nuclear families doing shows about how wives would stay home and clean and the husbands would go out and they were always white families and they were always middle class. And in the same way that TV had to evolve and still needs to evolve, I think emoji also needs to do that in order to be more complete. In a lot of ways, that may never happen where it is fully complete, but that doesn't mean there shouldn't be the attempt to be able to represent all types of people who may be using phones and may be using emoji. With the mention of the myriad identities that exist within humanity, I also think it's worth talking about the myriad emotions and sentiments and thoughts that people experience, because these articles also touched on the idea that emoji are not only considered silly or trivial, perhaps childish, but that emoji, because of their cartoonish nature, are not well suited to convey anger, mockery, or mean intentions. And going back to the idea of language as a tool, I disagree with the sentiment that emojis lack aggressive or negative traits because I do think they can be applied in aggressive, negative, or mocking ways. And again, looking at the idea of interpretation, you might send a message peppered with emoji that you think is neutral, perhaps even joking or positive in some ways but others could very easily interpret your message as condescending or mean. And in that circumstance, is one side or party correct? And if the interpretation of anger exists, does that mean that the message contains some subtext of anger? Because many people, as we've said, note that emoji tend to soften a message or at least give it some gentler tones. And I wonder if part of that is the cartoonish nature, that emoji typically don't have jagged or uncomfortably rigid lines. They are curved. Their colors are often vibrant and saturated. And with the rise of the internet, some of the readings we did pointed to the general malice that has existed on the internet in its infancy and current adolescence and how emoji in some ways emerged as a response to that malice. And I find it really interesting that a linguistic form emerged and was then applied in response to a broader societal narrative, because I don't know if human history has experienced that specific phenomenon before. I had never thought before reading these articles, can emoji be angry or not? I think that most of the time, if I were to get a text from a friend, they might be telling me, I've had a bad day because of these reasons, or I'm really annoyed with a person because of these reasons, and use that emoji, that angry red face emoji, but it's never directed at me, or it has never been directed at me. So even though I might be able to tell that whoever's texting me is angry, I've never felt that anger. But I think it's also important to note that 
clearly there is some sort of shift where people want to be able to express their feelings, their emotions through these emoji. Because if not, I mean, if you look at Facebook, instead of just having a like button, for example, now you have the option to show that you're angry or sad or laughing instead of just the like button. So it's very clear that whether we want to acknowledge it or not, emoji have appeared throughout our culture and are an important part of our culture. I mean, even for Halloween, I've seen kids dressed up like emoji or seen balloons that have hard eyes like emoji. It's everywhere. And that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. It's just fact. And before we close this episode, what would you like the audience to consider after listening to this discussion? One thing I plan on doing, and I think this might be a good option for the audience as well, is talking with different people about how they feel or what they interpret the message that you're sending them. You can talk with a parent or a sibling. Maybe you can talk with a friend. I want to talk with people who might have a different experience or background than I do. I'm just really intrigued and curious to know how other people feel about this and not just millennials, because I feel like this is a conversation that happens between millennials a lot, but I'm curious what other people feel as well. My mom has recently started texting me emoji, and at first I thought it was very odd, but I actually kind of love it because I feel like she and I communicate through emoji in a very similar way, but with punctuation, we communicate in a very different way. I'm always ready to talk with anyone who's interested about how they feel with either punctuation or also emoji. I think it's a really interesting conversation to have. I'd also be really curious to hear more about cross-generational communication using emoji. And if certain listeners have biases against or for emoji, we would love to hear about them. I would also be really interested to hear if there are certain emoji that listeners think are missing and should eventually be added, or emoji that they commonly misinterpret or struggle to define. And finally, I'd like to pose a challenge to our listeners. I would love you to describe your favorite stride and saunter episodes using only emoji, whether that's in a Facebook message, an email to us, or a tweet. And if listeners do not already, I would highly encourage you to listen to Morgan's own podcast, Burst Your Bubble, which takes a look at a lot of harmful ideologies in our world, whether that's racism, homophobia, sexism, and other really interesting topics that I've always found fulfilling and informative. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I talk a lot about different isms and phobias in pop culture. And while I haven't talked about emoji yet, that's definitely something that I could touch on in the future. Though maybe I would just tell people to listen to Stride and Saunter instead. Well, that would be very kind of you. Personally, I would love to see what your solo take would be. And of course, I'd like to thank you for coming on today and sharing your thoughts. Anytime, Kip. It was great to see you do your thing. I'm glad you got to see it. And a special thanks to Emma Magore, Emily Hurd, and Sarah Miller, whose responses to a survey of ours inspired this conversation and helped inform our dialogue. But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among not simply a conversation between. So if you have any thoughts, comments, or opinions of any kind, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to and sharing it with someone you think might enjoy it or get something out of it. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.